Father, thank you for the chance we have to spend time thinking about how to reach people for Jesus. We want to become better at it. We want to do it more. We want to be more successful. And most of all, we want to walk with Jesus. We want to walk with you. Please bless us today. Bless our time. And Lord, I pray that we'll leave here ready to smile at people and initiate witnessing toward them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A young man was in a at a parking lot, and he had glow tracts with him, and he sees a man, and he says to, him, he says to himself, I'm going to, to glow this guy, and he had three tracts, and he chose three tracts and handed them to the man and said, here's something for you to read, it's got a free offer on the back, and you can look at the free offer later, there's other free stuff. And as he turned to go, the man says, wait, where's the other guy? And he said, what other guy? He said, I, I've seen you before. Two months ago, I had a dream that, that you came to me, and there was a really tall, strong, good-looking guy with you. And the guy's like, well, there's, he says, there's nobody with me. He says, but the tall guy said to me, take what he has. It's the truth. And the young man who was working with us said, whoa. And the guy says, and and, and he said there were four, four titles that the guy told me I needed. And he proceeded to list two of the tracks that he had just given him, which were why I go to church on Saturday and where is God when I'm hurting. And he said, but you have other tracks. And the other ones were something about myths about hell and mental health. And the young man, eyes got really big. And he's like, he says, whoa. He's like, I think I have those in my bag in, um, in just a second. And he checks. And sure enough, he finds those two tracks and hands the man those two tracks. The man knew the titles before he had given them to him. So the man said, thank you very much. I will read these. And the man turned and walked away. And the young man was just stunned. If you came to this seminar hoping for some training and some methods, you'll get some of that. But please remember this one main point. A track that stays in my purse or my wallet, or my pocket, cannot meet a divine appointment that God has for me. Uh, A witnessing, a divine appointment, an amazing witnessing story cannot happen unless I step out and do it. And that we found in our experience and in the the history of of 20-some years of doing this, God uses people who are shy. God uses people who are untrained. He prefers trained people. But God uses anybody to meet the divine appointments he has set up for them. And we're going to be talking about that as well. We're going to talk about several things. But please remember this main point. Witnessing cold turkey is meeting the appointments that God has set up for you. That was cold turkey witnessing. And and that was using tracts as the introductory contact. There are lots of things you can do besides using tracts. There are lots of things. So in this seminar, we'll be answering the question... What do you do if you don't have a relationship with someone but want to try something to reach him or her anyway? There was a lady named Jeanette sitting in her car. Actually, she was walking toward her car, and she was approached by a boy and a man, and they said, hello, and they handed her some glow tracks. And the glow tracks she received, one of them was on the Sabbath. They didn't know 
that she had already read a different tract on the Sabbath. They they didn't know that she was convicted about the Sabbath already. They didn't know that she had said, God, do you really want me to keep the Sabbath? If so, please give me some sort of sign or evidence. They didn't know any of that. They just saw some lady in the parking lot, and they walked up to her and handed her some tracts. You see my point. We don't know. We don't know what God has set up for us. And that's part of the fun. That's part of the fun, is we don't know what's going to happen. So, today, I'm going to look at four main points. Witnessing cold turkey. The first one of the four, the first point, number one, is be genuine. Be genuine. Okay? Christ Object Lessons, page 149. Personal efforts for others should be preceded by much secret prayer, for it requires great wisdom to understand the science of saving souls. Before communicating with men, commune with Christ. People can sense or even smell, as it were, if we are not genuine, or if we have our own agenda, or we are pushing our own thing. You know, uh, there's a lot of suspicion Today, there's suspicion in today's world. This is now from Philip Saman. I'm going to give you a quote from him if you don't know who he is. He teaches at Southern Adventist University, and he wrote a book called Christ's Way of Reaching People. The Christian's sincere interest and love startles people. Why? Because most of us are so caught up in promoting ourselves, loving things, and using people that it comes as a pleasant surprise that someone genuinely cares without any ulterior motives. Isn't that interesting? So it it startles some people. So even even when we have communion with Christ and we speak in in sincerity and in genuineness, people are still wondering, is that really legit? Are you just trying to convert me? But people, you know, there there are people who have practiced eyes. They have, they've, they've, they've seen, you know, religious abuse and they've been, had their arm twisted. I had some uh, folks come to my door once, and uh, they said, hello, word, et cetera, et cetera, and they handed me a piece of literature. And I immediately thought about uh, share, saying some things that we had in common, a commonality, right? So I immediately said two or three things that I, I knew what we would have in common, and the guy looked at me like this, and he immediately went for something he figured out we didn't have in common and became a little abrasive. So th- those are the kinds of experiences people have had. They've, they've had this abrasiveness or, 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 or um, salesmanship, so to speak. And so there's sales resistance. We would call it sales resistance. But the Christian's sincere interest in love startles people. I'm going to show you now uh, uh, excerpts from a letter that I received about one of the young people who goes out and goes witnessing for us. Okay. And the letter actually came to the girl at my address, okay? So I, I scalped the letter here. Our, our family, okay, this is the family that was witnessed to. Our family was talking again about you this morning after our Bible time. There was something so different about you that I found very refreshing. Your gentle, quiet spirit spoke volumes and set you apart from the typical people who often come around. I know others can sense that as well, and I can see how God can use you in a powerful way to draw people to him. See that, you, they, people can tell if, if you're different. 
people can tell if you're different. Ministry of Healing, page 512. Nothing is more needed in our work than the practical results of communion with God. We should show by our daily lives that we have peace and rest in the Savior. Peace and rest. There are a lot, there's a whole lot of the world that doesn't have that. And if we have it, it's going to show. His peace in the heart will shine forth in the countenance. It will give to the voice a persuasive power. Men will take knowledge of us as of the first disciples that we have been with Jesus. This will impart to the worker a power that nothing else can give. I can't give it to you in this seminar. Your pastor can't give it to you. You can't get it by training. Only with Jesus. That's what gives the voice a persuasive power. There was a young woman who was at a coffee shop, and she was talking to this man who turned out to be an atheist. And the atheist was so impressed by this young woman's sincerity and her genuineness that he called us and talked to us. And this is as best, after the phone call, we wrote it down, and this is as best we can remember what the man said on the phone. He said, I'm not a Christian and I'm not a believer, but she warmed my heart. I believe she should be given special recognition because the, the way she spoke with such love and kindness. We, we explained to him that the young people go out and witness because they love Jesus, not because they're forced to. Not because they're forced to by their church. And when, 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 when we told him that, he said, yeah, that's what she said too. And then the man concluded his phone call with, I don't like it when people pray for me, but I let her pray, and it was beautiful. Cool, huh? Isn't that a cool story? Touching people's lives. Mount of Blessing 37. Without a living faith in Christ as a personal Savior, it is impossible to make our influence felt in a skeptical world. A skeptical world. It is in proportion to our own devotion and consecration to Christ that we exert an influence for the blessing and uplifting of mankind. I want to show you a video now. This is a video of a a man who is an avowed atheist. You may have heard of him. He's an, an entertainer, a comedian, and a magician. And he speaks against Christianity all the time. And this is the story. It's a four-minute video. It's a story about how he was approached by a Christian once in order to proselytize him. Listen carefully to what happens. I get the video, the volume right. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we... uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was old on big guy, probably about my age, big guy. And, um, he had been the, um, the guy who has, uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the you know, the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, that's uh, not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. 
Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but Listen I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, <laughs> Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say.
What do you all think? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? So, so here's this guy who makes fun of Christians, and he's godless and revels in being godless. And here a sincere Christian approaches him. And he can tell. He can tell what's happening. And he can tell that this guy is genuine. He's sincere. He's not, you know, feeling like he doesn't have a, the guy doesn't have a baseball bat in his hand. He's not, not weird. He's normal. He's polite. He looks him in the face. Very interesting. Wasn't that interesting? Yeah, people, people can tell if you're genuine or if you're fake. And that's why spending time with Jesus is the number one, the number one thing to do before witnessing. To make our influence felt in a skeptical world. I'm now going to quote from a guy named Larry Alex Taunton. He's a a famous Christian apologist. Uh, This is from the, the magazine The Atlantic. Sincerity does not trump truth. After all, one can be sincerely wrong. But sincerity is indispensable to any truth we wish others to believe. There is something winsome, even irresistible, about a life lived with conviction. I'm reminded of the Scottish philosopher and skeptic David Hume, who was recognized among a crowd of those listening to the preaching of George Whitfield, the famed evangelist of the First Great Awakening. Okay, so here's this huge crowd of people listening to this powerful evangelist, and somebody looks around and says, whoa, that's David Hume standing right there. Like, what's going on? What's What's this guy doing here? So this is what happens. I thought you didn't believe in the gospel, someone asked. I do not, Hume replied. Then with a nod toward Whitfield, he added, but he does. There's something irresistible about a life lived with conviction and in sincerity. Christ's Object Lessons 232. Thousands can be reached in the most simple and humble way. The most intellectual, those who are looked upon as the world's most gifted men and women, are often refreshed by the simple words of one who loves God and who can speak of that love as naturally as the worldling speaks of the things that interest him the most deeply. Is it easy to talk about the Golden State Warriors' victory? Is it easy for us to talk about worldly things or stock prices or whatever, whatever the business is? It's easy for us to talk about those things. Can we talk just as easily about the love of God for us, about spiritual things? Can we talk easily speak about those things? As naturally as the worldling talks about his stuff, can we talk about spiritual things that easily? That's a challenge to me. One of my mentors, who has now since passed away from cancer, is a man named Brian, and he taught me, when I was a young man, he taught me a lot about spiritual prophecy, a lot about outreach and gospel work. And he wrote a couple of Sabbath school lesson quarterlies for the World Church. A really brilliant guy. He grew up as a hippie with long hair and his teeth were falling out, so he went to see an Adventist dentist. And the rest is history. And he tells his, his testimony. When he tells his testimony, he, he told of the time when he was sitting on the beach smoking with his friends, I think, and he was approached by a very courteous Christian. He doesn't know who it was, doesn't know what he was doing. He was approached, and he, the, the man said something to him that was inviting uh, to, about spiritual things. And Brian turned and said, I'm not interested. And the man persisted one more time. And when the man persisted, Brian turned and gave, cussed him out directly. And the man turned, slowly turned and walked away. Brian felt so bad after that experience because he knew that that man was representing God. He felt so horrible inside of himself. That was the turning point which made him turn and say, maybe I should get, maybe I should get my life together and actually seek God. 
That was one of the turning points of his whole life when some sincere Christian approached him. But that man, of course, will never know until heaven. So, witnessing cold turkey, number one, be genuine. And that can only happen when we've taken time to be with Jesus. Number two, number two, initiate. Initiate. There is some risk involved when we initiate, you know? We might say the wrong thing. My wife was on the phone with a customer service representative once. She's sitting here laughing. It was a customer service representative. For some, I don't remember who she was calling. And, uh, and they were done with their phone conversation. And my wife said, okay, thank you. Have a nice day. And the man said, okay, love you. <laughs> and then they hung up the phone quick. <laughs> Oops. He said the wrong thing, didn't he? There's some risk involved that we'll say the wrong thing. And that's, that gives us some fear. There's another reason why we have some fear. It's called civil inattention. Civil inattention. In witnessing, we break accepted privacy boundaries. The phenomenon of ignoring people in a public setting has been labeled civil inattention. And it constitutes an important part of our social code. You ignore me, I ignore you. That way we can carry on the business of life without distracting one another. Okay, civil inattention. Social researcher Joanne Finkelstein says that social inattention is a means of making privacy possible within a crowd through culturally accepted forms of self-distancing. Okay, you're on a subway, you're on one of those trams, maybe you change planes in Dallas on your way here, they have that tram. When you're standing there, you're wall-to-wall people, but sometimes people aren't saying anything, right? Okay, that's civil inattention. So, in witnessing, we break that. And in cold turkey witnessing, this civil inattention is broken. And it can lead to discomfort, both, both for the person who is the target of your, the object of your witnessing, and for us who are doing the witnessing. So that's where the discomfort or the fear, the fear comes from. This person is going to sense that civil inattention is broken. And, and how is that person going to respond? that's the source of our fear. So the solution to fear, when we initiate, is realizing a couple of things. First of all, we need to realize that many people are bothered by by civil inattention. They don't like it. They feel isolated. They feel feel, uh, like nobody cares about them. Nobody speaks to them. They feel like they're they're alone. And that's a terrible feeling, especially for people who are divorcees or who who are single. Uh, And and there are many of them out there. There's a, a sense of loneliness And it's a myth that people will be offended and yell at you and all those things. And they just wanted to be left alone. Number two, we also have a fear because we know that many people have prejudices towards Seventh-day Adventism, particularly in certain areas of the country. However, I will tell you that as as the the ecumenical movement has happened more and more in America and, and, and secularism, it's made things more homogenized. And so there's a lot less prejudice against Seventh-day Adventism than there ever has been. By a long way. Now, we know in the future that tolerance is going to give way to, you know, animosity. We know that in the future. But that's in the future. Uh, We've experienced in our work a lot less, less prejudices than ever uh, before. And besides, God has ways of preparing people. I was on an airplane once, 
It's fun taking airplane rides and see who's sitting next to you. How many people can, 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 can have an experience uh, talking to somebody on an airplane? Okay, almost all of us. I was sitting on an airplane once, and I said to the lady next to me, I said, where are you going? She says, I'm going to the Middle East. I'm a missionary, or I, she serves missionaries. Her organization serves missionaries. I said, wow, that's amazing. And so we talked about that. She says, what do you do? I said, oh, I, I'm, I work for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. She says, oh, Seventh-day Adventist. And I thought she was going to say vegetarian, Loma Linda. You know, how, you know what the new, normal responses are. Saturday. She, no, she, first thing she said was, Seventh-day Adventist, you guys have the most amazing felts. <laughs> she loved using Seventh-day Adventist felts. And evidently where she was doing mission work in the Middle East, it was really useful to have Seventh-day Adventist felts for their children's programs. So, see, you know, God has stuff set up. We don't have to worry about it. Don't, don't realize that, as, that prejudice against Seventh-day Adventists is not nearly as common as you think it is, particularly in certain areas. I've been here in Houston. My wife, too, is going to share in a couple minutes. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Houston's piece of cake. It's so easy sharing glow tracks here and talking to people about God. It's the Bible Belt. I haven't had any prejudice. It's been fantastic. Um, I don't know where you're from, and each, each area has its own particular challenges. But the biggest, the biggest thing that will help us as we initiate and face fear is knowing that Jesus is with us. That's what really dispels fear. Being a tra- somebody who's trained helps. Having skills, having experience, all those things help. But knowing that Jesus is with you is the ultimate. I work with all kinds of people, young people particularly, and often young people will come, or, or the parents, usually it's the parents, they'll come and they'll say, oh, but she's so shy. Do you think she's going to be able to do this okay? Shy doesn't matter. It really, it, 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 it only matters a tiny, tiny bit. Often, young people who are shy do better than those who are not shy. The question is, do you have Jesus walking with you? Are you sure Jesus is walking with you? And, and do you have that conviction? Because that overrides shyness. It overrides that. I was, uh, just last week, there was a young woman named Asia, and she was giving testimonies about what had happened the previous day. And she said, some amazing things happened. She said, I'm not going to tell you any of those stories. I'm just going to tell you that I asked Jesus to walk with me all day. And it was one of the best days I've ever had. Because Jesus was walking with me. See, that dispels fear. That dispels fear. So, how to initiate. How to initiate. I'll watch the time here. I don't have a clock. Okay. So, how to initiate. Number one, I would, just, I would say, be fascinated with and interested in everything related to people. I'm always looking around for something odd or interesting, people's clothing, be interested in their dogs, be interested in the different places they live, be interested in the books they're reading, be interested in their vehicles, be interested in their children, be interested in their family members, be interested in their accents. There are all kinds of things that you can make friends with and initiate with. Uh, When I'm on the phone with customer service representatives, I often try to make it a game to figure out where they're from, just by their accent. And I listen very carefully and I say, are you from Wisconsin? Because there's a little Great Lake to accent. She's, and and the, the customer service representative says, how did you know? I'm actually from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And so it helps us make a little connection. 
Uh, and, of course, a southern accent. There's Tennessee and Texas, and those are a little different. Okay, uh, how about dogs? There was a dog on the airplane flying out here. There was an enormous puppy. It was a Great Dane puppy. Big, you know, face compared to the rest of his body, and his, his paws were just huge, you know. Be- it's just a be- most beautiful dog. I didn't sit next to that guy, but I, I, I started the conversation with him based on that dog. That was easy. That was super easy to start a conversation. Uh, what about someone uh, at, in line at the grocery store? They have 20 muffin boxes in their basket. What are you going to say? You have a lot of kids. Okay, I hadn't thought of that. That's a great answer. Do you have 20 kids? Okay. You must like muffins. Perfect opportunity to share a health tract. <laughs> Study people's faces. Look at, the look on people's faces can tell you a lot. Uh, you know, I, I was at a cash register at the grocery store some time ago, and the look of, of tiredness on the girl's face. You know, she just looked tired. And so I just said to her, hey, is your shift almost done? And, you know, she looked at me because, you know, customers are, you know, it's, they're, it's all kind of left-brained, objective. You push people through, and they want to get out. They, you know, pay their money, and they want to get out. And she said, yeah, all I have is an hour left. So immediately there's a, a small connection between the two of us because she saw that I, I, I cared. Now, that wasn't long. We didn't have a long conversation. There's a line behind me. But it's perfect to give a tract. Perfect to give a tract. And when she reads the tract, she hopefully will remember that I noticed how she was feeling. And this can't be forced. This can't be forced. I remember I was teaching teenagers to do this, and the kid looked at, uh, he was in, at a door, and he looked at the yard, and because we were taught them to comment on landscaping. And he says, oh, you have a beautiful tree in your yard. But the tree was this scraggly little stunted thing, and it was obviously <clears throat> not the right thing to say. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? So, you know, it can't be forced. It has to be natural. So how about someone reading their Bible? Ever seen anybody reading their Bible? I was at a hotel uh, last week, a week and a half ago, whenever that was. And these three ladies were walking down the hallway with their Bibles. What do you say? Are you on your way to church? You, but it was, it was uh, Friday. So I said, so I said, yeah. So I said, so I see Bibles. Are you ladies on your way somewhere? And they said, yes, we're on our way to a Bible study. Oh, that was, that was easy. They're carrying Bibles. Whenever I see anybody reading a Bible in the airport or wherever I am, I often like to say, hey, that's a good book. And they look at me and they go, oh, yeah, it is a good book. Yeah? Okay, so, so, so it, it's a way to open up a little conversation, a way to initiate while still making the other people feel, person feel okay. And then, of course, I love carrying tracts. And, and there are lots of ways to witness. Tracts are an excellent way to, to witness cold turkey. And I, I like doing that. There are other ways, though, as well. Yes? For the last, I can't remember how many years, every piece of um, that you send out for um, payment, yes. This sister is saying every piece of mail that she sends out to, when she writes a check to pay her, her electricity bill or whatever it is, she, every single one she puts a tract inside. You know where you got that from? That's actually from the writings of Ellen White. You've been doing it for years. Ellen White recommends that we do that. She says you can often enclose a tract without increasing postage. She actually mentions that. Thank you, sister. Very good. 
Be an observer of people. Ask God to give you insight into what to say to them. Okay, so I was on another plane, and there was a, a, a lady uh, 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 coming down the aisle. You know, I was, I was in one of these planes that has two seats and then an aisle and three seats. And the seat next to me was empty. And I thought, wow, I'll be able to spread out. And uh, just at the last minute, a, a, a lady came down the aisle. Heavy, a little heavy set. She's going to sit right next to me. And I thought, okay, Lord, here we, this is great. And uh, she had a certain nobility about her. And she was friendly, but she was, she was noble and, and self-assured, but not in a bad way. She was, she was very polite. And she sat down and got her things settled. And I thought to myself, you know, she looks like she's a, a kind of a wealthy person. And, and so I said, and I was in Washington, D.C., by the way. This was a Washington, D.C., a flight from D.C. to the West Coast or something. And so I, I smiled at her, and, I, and I, said, I said something to her. And I said, well, you know, you look like a high-ranking government official. And we laughed, and she laughed, and she says, actually, I am. She was one of the five federal trade commissioners appointed by Ronald Reagan. Wow. So we had a nice conversation. And, you know, you never know who God is going to throw into your path. You never know. I was on another plane. Okay, last plane story. I was on another plane, and this was in a, on a wide body. It was two aisle five, aisle two, I think. So there was an empty seat next to me, and sure enough, here comes a young woman down the, the aisle. And, I, I, again, I noticed her that she seemed to have this, again, the same nobility about her, and that maybe she was from a wealthy family or from a, a, a responsible family, and she needed help putting her suitcase up, so I helped her put her suitcase up. And she sat down next to me, and we chatted a little bit, and um, she says that she attends this university. She was a university student, probably age 20, and she attends a, this large university, 35,000 students. And I thought to myself, I bet she has some position of responsibility. So I said to her, so don't tell me, let me guess. You're in student government. And she laughed and she says, actually, I am. She was one of the top six people that was on student government for that enormous university. And we began to chat and we began to talk about God. And her, her father is very wealthy, owns a jewelry company, and you could tell by how she was dressed. And at the end of our conversation, she was Christian but only nominally. I had with me a book that I had taken with me to give out. It was, it's called Life Without Limits by Clifford Goldstein. Some of you may have seen that. It's a great book to hand out to secular people. And he writes very well for secular people. And it was a hardback. And I I'd done, I'd read it, and I was done with it, and I wanted to pass it along instead of keep it. And so I, I wrote in, in it, and I gave it to her as a gift when she left. And I hope she read it. Be an observer of people. A priest. Praise God. Step, steps to Christ to a priest. <laughs> Wonderful. Do you carry literature with you wherever you go? I hope you do. I hope you do. Be an observer of people. Be an observer of people. Desire of Ages 102. From time to time, John the Baptist went forth to mingle with men, and he was ever an interested observer of what was passing in the world. With vision illuminated by the divine spirit, he studied the characters of men that he might understand how to reach their hearts with the message from heaven. 
there was a, a last week I was on the street with uh, a young person, and as we approached this lady, she was smiling. She was smiling. And I thought, why is this lady smiling? I mean, she's just smiling a lot. And as we walked up to her, and then her little daughter was about eight years old, and she was smiling. And I thought, is this genetic? Like, what, you know, what's the deal? They, they just had these most beautiful smiles on. And so I asked them, you know, we talked to them, and I said, so why are you smiling? And I asked the little girl this, and she says, we have happiness in our family. <laughs> Isn't that nice? We, we have happiness in our family. Yeah. And in the end, we made friends with them, and they signed up for personal Bible studies. So, again, noticing things that are special about people or maybe that are a little different or positive, you know, uh, it helps to make that little connection. One of my friends, Heidi, tells a story about how she was sitting at, at a window uh, at, uh, at one of these buffets, Fresh Choice, Sweet Tomatoes, maybe you have them where you live, one of these all-you-can-eat buffets. She was sitting there having her lunch or whatever, and she was eating and eating, and there was a couple right across from her, and she observed them, and she, she thought, wow, this couple, they... They look like they're, they look like they have, a, a, again, this sort of honesty about them. She says, I wonder how I could approach them. And she, she thought, ah, you know, I'm not sure what to do. So she finished her meal, and she walked over and started to make conversation with them. And to make a long story short, I'll let you give, tell you in her words, their names were Alan and Mona. He was a retired accountant. Then they asked me the million-dollar question, what do you do? I love it when people ask me that. I can seriously bust out with the whole gospel right then and there. I told them that I study with people to help them understand the Bible and Jesus. So you can say that. No matter what profession you do, you can say, I'm a Christian blank. I'm a Christian accountant. I'm a Christian physical therapist. Because our, as ASI teaches, we are in the marketplace, but we're there for a reason. We're there for a reason. So... Um, the woman's face lit up. I love Jesus, she said. May I? Ha-? And then as they made friends, the lady said, may I have your number? I want you to teach me more about Jesus and the Bible. She said, you won't believe this, but just last night I was pleading with God to send someone across my path to show me the truth from the Bible, and I believe he sent you. Both our eyes filled with tears as we prayed together, thanking the Lord for this divine appointment. Okay, so this is another example of how God sets it up. Us. We don't have to manufacture it, you know? There's another guy. It's another story. Short story. He works at In N Out Burger making French fries. Puts the potato in there, pulls the lever, out come French fries. They stick them in the, the fryer. Another potato. Okay, you're making potato, you know, In N Out Burger, they actually use potatoes instead of potatoes from somewhere else. And then you get the fries. Okay, so that's In N Out Burger. They're cutting, slicing tomatoes. They're making burgers. And Josh. While he's making French fries, starts talking to his coworker about prophecy. And his coworker is very interested. Long story short, she starts coming to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. He was, he was an Adventist. She starts coming to the Adventist Church. She gets baptized. She's now a church plant leader in California. Meanwhile, her brother also has been convicted and given his life to Christ. He's leading a bunch of young people witnessing this summer. Meanwhile, their friend, Mike, who also worked at In-N-Out, all four of these people worked at In-N-Out Burger, Mike also was convicted and converted, was baptized as a Seventh-day Adventist after studying, just because one guy shared his faith while he was making French fries. So, someone might say, someone might say, but what do I talk about? What do I talk about? Okay, I'm going to give you a simple, a simple rule. 
Okay, this is, if you're taking notes, this is a good thing to write down. Here's a simple rule. Talk about what matters most to that person. Talk about what matters most to that person. What matters most to men? What's a, what's a, what's a question that you usually ask when you usually ask when you first meet a man? What, what do you do for a living? Right? Okay? Men often get their identity uh, from what they do for a living. Right? Okay? So, so uh, that's often what they care about. Women, women often get their identity from their relationships. Okay? The relationships with their husband, their children. Now, this is not always the case. Many women get their identities from their work, and many men get their identities from their relationships. But this is either just broad generalities, okay? Women often care a lot about their relationships, their family, their grandkids. How many grandkids do you have? How many kids do you have? Etc. okay? So that's often... What about kids? If you're witnessing to a kid, what do kids think about? School. That's good. School. Food. Somebody has some teenagers. Okay. Okay? What they're doing in their spare time? Dolls, okay, video games, oh, okay, how about pets, okay, what's the name of your dolly, if you have a small child, small girl, what's the name of your dolly, all right, okay, how about older people, what do they care about, how about a housewife, how about a businessman in a shirt and a tie, how about an environmentalist, how about a chimney sweep who comes over to your house, I just had to have my wood stove chimney cleaned, so this, I, we call this guy, he comes over, he's wearing all black, climbs up on the roof, comes in here with this thing, sucks out all the, the soot, sticks this thing up there, does an inspection, all that stuff. And it's kind of a gruff guy, long hair. And when he's done, I chat with him, I said, how's business going? Is business good, huh? He says, yeah, business is good. And we start talking, and to make a long story short, we, we start, start talking, and he, st- he, start, he starts talking, because he could tell I had a genuine interest in him. In him. He starts talking about how it, it's been so difficult because one of his friends committed suicide. And it had just happened a few months ago, and the family wasn't recovering. And he, he doesn't understand how that can happen. And I talked to him about God, and where could God be in that situation? And, and then he says, yeah, but he says, but when I was a child... I was molested by the Catholic priest. And he begins to tell the pain of that experience. And his friends, who had the same experience, uh, a long way away from where I live. He didn't grow up near where I live. And he's, he's telling me this experience, and he starts weeping. This is a chimney sweep. He's all black, he's got soot on him, and he's weeping. Because he's sharing about what has happened in his life. You know, uh, initiating with people is risky. But God has those things set up for us. He has those things set up for us. When we are willing to initiate, he has people for us to reach. We left him with some literature. I called a friend of mine who has a weekly Bible study. And he said, I, and he said, I will invite him personally. Another principle. The principle we just talked about was talk about what matters to that person. Right? Talk about what matters to that person. And most people are willing to talk about themselves, aren't they? They're willing to talk about themselves. Most of us are willing to talk about ourselves, aren't we? So, in fact, if you're sitting down and 
it's a social engagement, and you get the other person talking about himself the whole time, he'll think that you're an amazing conversationalist. Right? Okay, most people are willing to talk about themselves. How about when people ask you questions? Boy, that's just too good to pass up. That's a witnessing opportunity that falls right into our laps. I was with a group of young people at a Subway sandwich shop recently, and we all ordered vegetarian sandwiches. And by the end, the lady's like, wait, are you guys all vegetarians? I said, yes, we are. It's perfect. Perfect opportunity to pull out health tracks and to explain what the deal is. I was with my daughter. She was maybe four years old or something, and we were at a, a sandwich shop. And she looked at the, at the meat there, and she says, Daddy, is that dead animal? And she said it in a really loud voice. And there were people behind us. But there are opportunities that come to us like that, where people ask us questions that are leading questions. Uh, how about, what are you reading? When somebody says, what are you reading? I, you know, I'm glad when people ask me that, because I can turn that into a witnessing opportunity. <clears throat> So, when there appears to be no opening, when there appears to be no opening at all, what do you do? There seems to be no no gigantic Great Dane puppy that you can comment on. There are not 20 muffin containers in their groceries. Okay, they're not, you know, what, what do you do? What do you do? If it's completely cold and you have nothing but you feel like you want to reach someone, there's nothing that I found is better than handing them a tract. Handing people a tract. Okay, and here's all you have to say. It's so easy. It's so easy. All you have to say is, here's something for you to read when you have time. Here's something for you to read when you have time. Here's something for you to read when you have time. Here's something for you to read when you get a chance. Here's something for you to read when you get bored. Or the toll booth operator. Who has, and, and there's almost no traffic. And you know the toll booth operator is going to be sitting there for another minute and a half or two minutes before the next car comes, and they must be bored out of their brains. Here's something for you to read, because it looks like traffic is slow today. And if you ever go to Walmart and you see all the cashiers standing around doing nothing, definitely, here's a tract for you to read if you're bored. Here's something for you to read. And I like carrying glow tracts. Sometimes a conversation comes first, and then you can hand them a glow tract. Other times, handing the tract comes is first, and then the conversation happens after you hand the tract. So, so it's, it's both. Sometimes that happens both. I was at, at uh, some of you may have heard me tell this story because I like this story so much. It illustrates. Uh, it's a good illustration. So I'm at Big Lots, and I was at Big Lots, and I, I was, uh, there was a line of people behind me, and I had to purchase batteries or something. And I, uh, the, the cashier helped me, and I gave her a glow tract. And she says, wait, is this about God? I said, yes, it's about God. It's a Bible tract. She says, oh, she says, I know I need to get back to church. And I, I've been asking God for a sign that I should go back to church. Where's your church? <laughs> Did that take any skill? I just handed the lady a tract. Okay. But, but then we started talking, and, and, I, and I, you know, it, it was beautiful to watch God set that up. And, and as we talked, I thought to myself, you know, there are five people in line behind me here, so we better make this quick, but all because I started by handing a tract. Let me show you some new tracts. We do have some new tracts at Glow, just briefly, so that you're aware, unity greater than truth, question mark. This celebrates the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. It was written by Steve Wolberg. 
And, you know, this October, in only a couple of months, is the 500-year anniversary of Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses. This talks about the importance of Protestantism. We also have help for loneliness. Help for loneliness. Uh, this morning, this morning I was on my way back to where we're staying. We're staying off campus about 10 minutes away. I dropped my wife off. And I love my wife, and so I stopped at the Kroger grocery store to buy her some bananas this morning because my wife loves bananas, and we were basically out of bananas. So I walk into the store to buy some bananas, and as I'm checking out, I hand this tract and, uh, and another one, two tracts, I handed to the cashier. And there, wasn't, there weren't very many people. It was in the morning, and I don't think there was anybody behind me. And she says, oh, are these, are these uh, from the, about the Bible? And she was so happy, had a gigantic smile. And, and when she looked at the dog, she started laughing. And I walked out, and I went to the parking lot, and a lady approached me and said, can I have some cash? I need gas for my car. I said, I don't have any cash. I don't carry any cash. I said, but I have Bible tracts. And I said, Bible tracts aren't going to be very useful to you because you need to put gas in your car. I apologize. And she, she laughed, and she says, no, I like Bible tracts. That was this morning in the Kroger parking lot. And I think I handed her one of these, too. Anyway, Help for Loneliness by Dr. David DeRose. It's a fantastic tract. Certainty in an Uncertain World by Mark Finley. Uh, also, this, is, this can be for any culture anywhere around the world. He wrote it especially for that. What is Jesus doing now? See the little gavel there? That's about the investigative judgment. Uh, Diabetes Undone by Dr. Wes Youngberg. Uh, Living Water, Grandma's Surprise. This is our second glow tract for kids. And this is about a puppy dog and how to take care of your puppy dog. And it's the health message for kids. Really neat tract. It's a really special tract. Uh, we have, of course, you're familiar with these. Where is God when I'm hurting? What the world needs now. This is, people have a hard time not crying when they read this one. Uh, talking with God about prayer, promise of peace. Those are directly from Steps to Christ. Hope for families. Steps to health. Sunday is for football. Saturday is for blank. Okay, that is why I go to church on Saturday with the football cover. This is great to hand hand to men. During football season, I love handing this to men because you know they're watching football and drinking beer or whatever every Sunday. Secrets of Peak Mental Health, An Intelligent Faith, that's on Daniel chapter 2, by the way, Evolution Impossible uh, by Dr. Ashton, and The End of the World. That's a really dramatic cover, isn't it? Uh, There's Why I Go to Church on Saturday, War in Heaven, Death's Silent Truth, Today's Ten Commandments, Ancient Scrolls Discovered in Forgotten Caves about trustworthiness of Scripture, Uh, And then what's wrong with grandpa? That's state of the dead. For children, what's wrong with grandpa? Gift of joy, that's from Desire of Ages. Easy to hand that one out at Christmas time. And so is that. By the way, the easiest uh, cold turkey witnessing I've ever done in my entire life. I was outside a mall, and I just handed out these. And it was Christmas time. It was December 19 or something. And I just handed this and said, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Hundreds of people just took them like mad. So easy to to, to, to do cold turkey witnessing like that during Christmas time with that. And I love GLOW being part of total member involvement. T-M-I. T-M-I. Have you ever had an experience with uh, somebody mistaking you for Jehovah's Witnesses? Oh, yes. We get mistaken for Jehovah's Witnesses. So we do. Morning, we, both of us were waiting for the store to open, and I had some tracks with me. And I started to give her one, and she, she was kind of hesitant. And she said, are you yeah, we get, we get confused, and, and we don't want to disrespect anyone, but we don't want to have a, a case of mistaken identity, that's for sure. Quick story, there was a church member 
who was at a, at a large mall, and she was at a, at a food court in that mall, and she saw that the place was almost empty of, of, of customers, but there were, there were certain uh, uh, restaurants that were open, and the, the, the people, the, the workers, were standing around with nothing to do. It's perfect. Go hand them tracts. So she went and started handing tracts. And she handed the one young girl a tract, uh, where is God when I'm hurting? And the, girl, the, the young worker who was dressed in her outfit to work at that restaurant immediately burst into tears. She says, this is about God, isn't it? She says, oh, and she opened up about, about her spiritual struggles. The church member listened to her, invited her to church. She took Bible studies, and she was baptized. Praise God. That's a cool story. Just at a food court in a mall. In a mall. Uh, other stories. Uh, this couple used to go to this restaurant. They would leave glow with the waiter and, as part of the tip, as part of his tip. And he, they started a conversation. They kept going back to the restaurant. Uh, the, the young man, who was the waiter, started Bible studies, and he was just baptized a few months ago. Praise God. <clears throat> By the way, at this point, I want to ask, does cold, uh, does cold turkey witnessing actually work? Or are we just making ourselves feel better by witnessing? Does it actually work? I want to just uh, appeal to a very secular, extremely, in fact, this is a very, very secular authority, uh, just for a second. This is MSNBC. Some of you may watch this. MSNBC is a very secular authority. Over on the right-hand side is a guy named, uh, they're both Dave and Dave. Uh, The guy on the right here uh, leads the Leadership Lab in Los Angeles, uh, which is uh, LGBT issues. This guy is a professor at Stanford University, and they conducted a lot of research. In fact, MSNBC is reporting on Stanford's research, a potentially groundbreaking new study that shows how face-to-face conversations, even brief ones, can change, actually change voters' minds on hot-button issues. And that opens up a brave new world for candidates and causes. Even on an issue that deals with people's deeply held beliefs, knocking on doors, engaging personally, you see that 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 can have an impact on moving those votes. Dave Fleischer, that's what the data shows. When we take the time to have those conversations, one in ten voters are changing their mind and changing their mind in a way that lasts. This is from Stanford Business School. Uh, and this is the, the uh, David Brockman from Stanford. It seems like there might be something about personal interaction and the way in which you can build rapport and get people to be comfortable with the person they're talking to. That's really interesting from a secular authority. And now this is New York Times. This is the same guy, same story from New York Times Magazine. How do you change voters' minds? At first, Fleischer and his team tried cerebral arguments and appeals to fairness in their doorway conversations. That failed miserably, he said. Eventually, the canvassers tried eliciting more emotional experiences. That changed everything. So in other words, having some kind of emotional connection rather than just flat, objective arguing with people, right? Columbia University political science professor Donald Green conducted experiments on voter behavior and found that canvassing is a more effective mobilization tool than telephone calls or direct mail. So by canvassing, they're talking about going door-to-door, totally cold. Fascinating. This is... This is the worldly, worldly sources. These people haven't read Ellen White. <clears throat> Bottom line, it's worth it to initiate. It's worth it 
to initiate. Let's go to the last or the, the third one out of four. Connect. Okay, so be genuine. Initiate. Number three is connect. Connect. How do you connect? How do you connect? Well, we like to say that we like to quack. Quack. Q-A-C. Quack. What does that stand for? Q-A-C. What does it stand for? It stands for question, answer, connect. Question, answer, connect. What does that look like? What kind of food do you like? I like Middle Eastern food. Oh, you like Middle Eastern food. That's amazing. I have a friend who's from Lebanon, and she makes the most bomb tabbouleh. Oh, with lemon juice. Oh, it's so good. Okay? So I asked a question. They gave an answer. And then I tried to find some commonality. Right? Question, answer, connect. Q-A-C. We call it quacking. Question, answer, connect. What do you like to do in your free time? Oh, I like watching birds. Oh, bird watching. You wouldn't believe what I saw the other day. I saw a huge Goliath heron. It's the world's largest heron when I was in South Africa. It was huge. It was like an A380, one of those huge wide bodies when it took off. Okay, question, answer, connect. Try to find something that you can have a commonality on. Now, everybody's different. Some people like to connect on cars. Hey, what kind of an engine is that? Is that like a five-liter engine? I don't even know what a five-liter engine is. I just made that up. So, you know, I'm not into cars. Some of you are. Okay, my wife loves sewing, and she's good at it. I like geography. I like knowing where people are from. I met some of you, and I asked you where you were from. That's fascinating to me. So try to find some commonality. You know, Jesus did this. Jesus did this. Okay, now Jacob's well was there, John 4. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, okay, this is the woman at the well. We're familiar with this story. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's, that's noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. What was the commonality? Water. They were both, sitting, they were both by the well. So Jesus immediately found some commonality with, with the lady. And immediately he jumped in and started talking about spiritual things. But first he, he, he tried to find that commonality. So give me a drink. Okay? It was also very interesting that Jesus did not shy away from the political hot button issue, which generally I like to do, but Jesus went right for it. You know, she, she said, uh, where do we worship? You know, worship style, Jews say in Jerusalem. And he says, women, believe you me, that it's not going to be here or Jerusalem. And then he says something that's amazing to me. He says... Uh, it says, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. He says it just like it is. He says the truth. So Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. So there, you know, there is something to be said for speaking directly to people in certain situations. I don't want to take more time on that. <clears throat> so asking open-ended questions is good. Rather than saying, do you like Hondas? Say, do you prefer Hondas or Toyotas and why? Okay, an open-ended question. Also, don't reveal all you know. Look at this, what Jesus said to the woman at the well. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Why did he say that? She didn't have a husband. Why did he say, go call your husband and come here? He knew she didn't have a husband. 
but he was pretending as if he didn't know that. Right? That's right. He wanted to demonstrate that he was, in her words, a prophet. He to demonstrate that he was divine. Okay? And to get her to talk. That's right. Now, the most fascinating example of this is on the road to Emmaus. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus is walking with those two guys. Remember that story? And the two guys say to Jesus, they don't know it's Jesus, they say to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in those days? And he said to them, what things? What? Why why is Jesus saying this? He's pretending like he doesn't know what just happened. In In worldly sense, we would say playing dumb, right? But Jesus here does not reveal all that he knows. Why? He wants them to to, to talk. And he wants them to talk. He wants them to to share how they're feeling. And he listens carefully and earns the right then to turn and to tell them, oh, let, let me explain what just happened. Right? What things? That, that, that uh, statement of Jesus fascinates me more, more than almost any in the whole Gospels. That story is fascinating, how Jesus dealt with people. <clears throat> Let me end this section with Gospel Workers, page 45. Jesus spoke to people in a way that made them feel the completeness of his identification with their interests and happiness. That's what we mean by connecting. That's what we mean by connecting. Jesus, they said, this guy identifies completely with what I'm interested in, and he wants me to be happy. I know he does. That's what they felt with Jesus. Gospel Workers, page 45. Now, let's do the last segment. Our time is rolling by. The last segment is do it. God has things set up. If the tract remains in your pocket, if the tract remains in your purse, the divine appointment cannot happen. I've asked my wife to share a couple of, of testimonies. She actually took the challenge that ASI gave on the first night to witness to people around the convention center, and she's going to tell us what happened. Hello, everybody. So, um, did anyone else do some, something on the challenge that ASI gave us? Hand out tracts, pray with somebody in the convention or outside the convention? Put your hand up if you did something off this card. Okay, we've got a few takers. Great. Um, when I got out of the car on Thursday morning, I said to myself, well, now's the time to start. And... Um, before I get distracted or lose my nerve or something. <laughs> and so, um, I, as I was walking in, I saw a security guard. And, of course, you know, uh, we always pray for divine appointments for the Lord to be with us. And um, I walked over to her, and I gave her a tract. And um, then I said something to the effect of, we're at this Christian convention, and we'd like to pray for people. Is there anything you'd like pray for? And she, it was Jackie. She wanted to pray for her job. And so we had a lovely prayer together. Then I went inside, and there was a man there with a trash can. His name was Jerome from the Congo, French-speaking. I'm from South Africa, so connected. Mm-hmm. And so then um, he also wanted same similar approach. I gave a similar approach. He wanted to pray for his job. And then later in the day, I was just leaving the auditorium after the 9 o'clock meeting, and there was a man standing there with, at the door, big guy. And I handed him a tract, and I said, um, 
I asked him if he wanted prayer, and he said yes. I mean, you don't always expect this big, tall, strong guy to want prayer, <laughs> but he said yes, uh, we could pray for his grandfather. So we stood right there, and we prayed, and he said, thank you very much. And then I thought, well, I'll just go to the exhibits, and I thought, I've got, you know, the whole ASI, I've prayed with three people, I'm, I'm good. And uh, if I could just get half the tract out today, you know, they said 20, so I said 10 today, 10 tomorrow, and we'll be good. And then I felt the Lord convicting me that it was time to go outside, go, go out of the convention center. And I thought, okay, okay, Lord, I, I want to do what you want me to do. And so I went outside the convention center, and I walked around a little bit, and I saw another lady that I could give a tract to, and she'd already received a tract, and she had a big smile on her face. But she was happy to receive prayer as well. We walked a little further, and then I met someone that... Um, I want to tell you about. Um, I, I just, I, I said, hello, how are you? Here's something for you. He looked at the tract, and it was this tract, and he said, I need this. Breaking addictions. He said, I need this. So we engaged in conversation, and I said, um, I said, what's going on, you know? And he said, I have a little trouble with alcohol. And so I spoke a little further with him. I said, would you like prayer? And he was so glad that someone would pray for him. I prayed for his addiction. I spoke with him. Um, and, and I really felt like God had set that up. And I'm sure he sets up all the appointments. But some people tell you that they appreciate it or they, they need what you have for them. And so then I had my 10 tracts were gone and I pulled out the other 10 and I, I was suddenly, I was addicted and I just wanted to hand out the glow tract. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I handed them out. Then I pulled out my extras. And, you know, when God gets a hold of you and you're just out there doing it, you know, it's just a special experience, isn't it? I'm None. sure you all have many experiences that you could share. Um, I want to share another experience. My daughter, my, she's about 10 years old and I, um, she hands out a lot of glow tracts. Wherever we go, she's pulling out glow. Even if I'm still paying for something or whatever, she's pulling out the glow and giving it. And it's not because I made her. She just likes to do that. Praise the Lord. And um, sometimes I pray for a divine appointment because I feel like we hand out a lot of glow and we don't always know what happens. Well, we had prayed um, at, at some time then that we for a divine appointment. And she and I were at the 99-cent store. And we went inside, and there was a guy selling telephone plans or something, sitting at a, a, a table, and uh, she gave him a tract. Fine. So we walked around to the side, and we walked past, and a lady stopped me. She was smelling the candles. And she said, uh, which one do you think is better, this one or this one? So we stood there, and we smelt the candles, and we gave her our opinion. And at the end, I pulled out a glow tract, and I just said to her, um, do you have a church home? And she said, uh, no, that she didn't really, and I think she wanted to get back into church. We chatted for a moment. I, told, I showed her how to get the Bible studies on the back. And then she said, she looked at me, and she said, um, uh, something to the effect of, um, I'm glad that I stopped you because she had received the help that she was really looking for. And so we kept walking around the dollar store and we come back by this guy with the telephone plans and he holds up the Saturday tract and he says, this caught my attention. 
And uh, so we engaged with him, you know, what, what caught your attention? He says, Sunday is the Babylonian sun worship day. I have studied it. And he goes on about the things he studied in history. And I thought, I wonder if this guy has an Adventist connection or background. And, and so I thought, um, so I, I took out more glow, the other tracts that I had, and I gave them to him. And um, I asked him if he fellowshiped at a church. He said, no, he doesn't have a church connection. And um, in the end, my daughter said that I should give him a flyer for our meetings. So we went and got flyers. We gave him a flyer. As we were leaving the dollar store, one of those guys that's um, collecting the money, you know, with a white um, outfit on, with a, a pail of some kind, he was collecting money for charity. He was there. He was just showing up to work. And uh, we handed him a glow tract. As we walked by, as we walked further, he calls us, wait, wait, do you have any more of these? I thought to myself, three experiences in one store? This never happens. <laughs> but we went back and we gave him some tracts and we invited him to the meetings. And um, you, we never know what God is going to do. My last experience, um, do you have a picture in a minute? Okay. Um, Bill and I, okay. This guy's name is Bob. Bill and I were at South Lake Tahoe. And we were at church there, and in the afternoon, they were going on an outreach. And we love doing outreach. It's so fun to talk to people and go door to door. And so we went on the outreach. And normally, how many people would go to a door, do you think? One, two, okay, at this church, it was five. Five or seven. We were in big groups. And Bill and I are thinking, nothing's going to happen. This is intimidating. <laughs> because, you know, that's what conventional wisdom tells you. Some of the people in the group were kids. I don't know, there were five or seven in the group. And we're walking around doing our survey, talking to people. And it's the snow on the ground. We're crunching around. It's a little chilly. And we knocked on a certain door. And um, uh, as I remembered, I did the canvas. I, you know, explained what we were doing. And he said, um, oh, uh, so you guys are Jehovah's Witnesses? And we said, no, we're Christians. And he says, you know I have a problem with you Christians. You all worship on the wrong day. <laughs> and so he said, oh, and what day should we be worshiping on? And he said, well, on Saturday, and went on with that. And so we said, well, actually, we do worship on Saturday. And we invited him to come. And the pastor came over and invited him to prayer meeting and um, he started coming, and to make a long story short, he was baptized. Here he is, Bob. We went up a few months later for his baptism from one cold day, one cold door knock, what the Lord could do. So thank you for listening. In conclusion, our time is up. Um, many are longing for some divine assurance. There are a lot of people out there who are looking for something. Let me just go on to the end here. Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission. I'm going to point something out about the Great Commission. We're familiar with his word, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. But if you notice at the end, it says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We claim that promise, and we should claim that promise, because his presence is always with us. But notice that his presence is with us in a special way when we are going and making disciples. Just like the special blessing of the Sabbath, right? The special blessing of the Sabbath. We experience God's presence every day. But there's something special on the Sabbath, isn't there? We're promised God's presence always. 
But this promise was given in the context of witnessing, of going and doing outreach and mission. And when you come back from an experience of doing outreach or mission or witnessing, you don't feel gloomy, do you? I'm sure many of you have experiences you could tell us. You know that Jesus has been with you. You know the presence of Christ has been with you. And that is what makes that so fulfilling and so exciting. I challenge each of us to do the same, to, do what, to go knowing that his presence is with us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time we've had to think about reaching out. And I pray that each of us here in this room will be willing to spend that time with you so you can make us genuine and sincere and that you will help us to initiate and connect. And Lord, help us just to do it because we know that you have it set up for us. You have special experiences set up for us. So I pray for, pray for this. Lord, I pray for our trip home on Sunday that you'll give us, each of us, some small or large divine appointment where we can share something with someone that will bless them. Thank you, Lord. Bless us now as the Sabbath hours are coming. We love you in Jesus' name. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.